Um, we're so excited you all are here today. As I said, Miss Jasmine Wood is going to is going to bring our sermon this morning, and we're so excited about that. I'm going to read the scripture to you now. Um, it's out of Judges six, and it's a part of the story of Gideon. Um, in Judges six, it starts: the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under an oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in the family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat from an ephah, a flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered to them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on a rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of, of the Abyssalites. And now I introduce Miss Jasmine Wood. Good morning. I'm glad that you're tuning in today or listening to the podcast on the Monday after. Usually, we broadcast live from our church in downtown Manhattan. And whenever we do, and I'm watching from home, and the camera goes anywhere near the window, I'm always trying to see what does it look like in our church neighborhood? What do the streets look like? It's been so long since I went down to Tudisbrosis. And that curiosity, you know, about what does our church neighborhood look like has only been building, especially because I just took some time away from New York and traveled to the South. 
Now, normally I would just answer the question of what does that neighborhood look like very easily by jumping on the subway, going across the water and looking at it. But like many of you, I've been trying to limit my movement to only doing what's essential. So the mystery has only grown. Well, when I came back uh, to New York last week, we drove back and as we were coming in through Lower Manhattan, I asked my husband if we could just quickly ride through. I just wanted to see what the area looks like because most of New York I've been taking in through the lens of the news. Um, again, save for the few times I've been outside here in Brooklyn or have participated in some peaceful protests. And so as we started driving around those streets, those streets we are also familiar with walking, our coffee shops, our restaurants, the things we do down there, I was so struck by how peaceful it was and the sense of peace that, that rushed toward me. It was so peaceful and, and I think in the back of my head I had a bit of nervousness or wariness about what could be awaiting us in New York. And so to go back and to be in that area, to be at our church building and experience such peace was so awesome and I wanted to start off by sharing that because I know there are so many of you that are having conversations with God right now about what is it going to mean to live in New York. If you live here and you're not here right now, I know you're talking to him about, okay, when are we supposed to be going back and when we get back, exactly what are we supposed to be doing? Where should we live when we get back? How will I work when I get back? How will I work if my industry is still crippled? And I believe that if God is calling you to be here in New York during this season, when you get back, or if you've remained, as you continue to remain here, there is going to be peace available for us. When we get back to that building, I think it's going to feel like a grand homecoming, and I think it's going to feel really good. On the flip side, I know there are some of you, uh, you know, where God has made it clear that he's not calling you to be here during this season. And so for those of you, I dare not stand in God's way. I simply encourage you to follow your peace. Follow the peace of God. God is peace. And as you're obedient and you walk out the steps that he has for you, that peace that passeth all understanding is going to continue to be yours. All right, with that, we're going to jump into this morning's message, which, as you already heard read, is going to focus on Gideon and Judges 6. All right, I got a few things happening this week. One, I can't hear out of this year. But two, I also have been struggling to prepare this message. I've had more trouble preparing it than I ever, ever have. And if I'm being honest with you, I think it's because I've been waking up feeling so vulnerable almost every day feeling so uncertain. You know, so many things feel uncertain right now. Things that used to be a given um, no longer feel that way, right? It used to be a given that school was going to look a certain way and it would open at a particular time of the year or, you know, other big events would always happen. There were just things that always happened they were given. And now so many of those things are starting to fall away, starting to trickle away. New patterns are emerging. New rhythms are emerging. We're all in some way in some uncharted water. And uh, that uncertainty left me feeling uncertain about what I'm supposed to get up and preach to you today. So 
I reached out to a good friend who's also a believer and also a leader at this church and walked through some of these issues with him, asked him to question me. And he said, you know, Jasmine, it's simple. At the end of the day, you got to do what God is telling you to do. And you got to do it believing that God is going to make you who he's already called you to be. And it clicked for me. More than Gideon's battle victories, more than Gideon's willingness to ask for signs, more than any of the action movie Liam Neeson stuff that happens throughout Judges, that is what I get from Gideon's life. That ultimately, he became who God called him to be. So that's what I want to focus on this morning. I've got a few notes for you. Not a lot here. It's pretty much just me and two turntables and a microphone. So here we go. Looking at that idea of God making you who he's called you to be through the life of Gideon, we've obviously got to start with Gideon. He is a young boy or a young man at the top of this story. And when we're first introduced to him, he is in a wine press where he's threshing wheat. So he's hiding. He's hiding his food. And he's doing that because the people of Israel are being uh, so heavily, so mightily oppressed by the Midianites, their enemy at this time, that they have had to resort to living in caves, to hiding. Their livestock has been taken or slaughtered. Uh, they you know, don't have access to their food and water the way they normally would. They are living in poverty. They are enduring hardship. They are crying out to God. And they are waking up with uh, vulnerability and uncertainty every single day. Not only is Gideon waking up um, with the reality of, of things just being hard and having to hide and being in fear and feeling timid, but he feels that way about himself as well. He describes himself as being uh, from you know, the least important clan. And then even within his own family, he describes himself as the least. He doesn't see himself as someone of importance, doesn't see himself as someone who's going to do something great with his life. And yet, God would eventually grow him, cause him to have numerous victories with a smaller group than what he had ever anticipated, would cause him to go on to be a judge, would, would really grow him and bring him to these new heights. And Gideon has no idea that any of that awaits him. But to me, that's not where Gideon's life ends. That's not where his story ends. To me, his story continues all the way through into Hebrews 11. You're familiar with Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 gives us that big list of our faith heroes, right? Hebrews 11 that starts off talking about what faith is, the definition of faith, how we need faith. And then it goes on from there to name our faith heroes. Enoch, Abel, Moses, Abraham, Rahab gets a mention. And there are so many people and so much to tell that by the time the author gets to verse 32 in Hebrews 11, it says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. That, to me, is where Gideon ends up going. From the wine press 
to Hebrews 11, from the wine press to keeping company with these other great heroes of faith. And not only that, not only just sort of like making the cut or making the roster, but it talks about what these people did. It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. There's a lot happening everywhere right now, but um, there's a lot happening in this country. And in response to many things that we've seen happen just within this year, I read a tweet that said, 2020's hindsight was not like a cutesy little phrase. 2020's hindsight was actually a message from the future and we should have been listening all along. Um, but there's, there's been a lot that's, that's happened this year in this country. And in response to what we've been seeing, the church, both the little C and the big C, right? Um, we've been talking about what we want to see change. Um, we've been talking about what we want to see improved, how we want to bring more of God's kingdom down uh, here to earth. We want to see his will being done. And so as we talk about all of the different change that we want to make, the things we want to do, what our aims and our goals will be going forward, to me, this sums up what we say we're trying to do. We're trying to overthrow kingdoms, wicked kingdoms, wicked systems that don't work, that oppress people, that cause people to have to resort to living in caves and living in poverty. We want to overthrow those. We want to rule with justice, and we want to receive what God has promised us. That's what we're aiming to do, and that's what Gideon helped to do, a part of it. So anyhow, getting back to Judges 6, uh, this no one, this not important person, is met by the angel of the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord shows up, he says, mighty hero or mighty warrior, depending on your translation, the Lord is with you. It's so important because while he's standing there in a hiding place, because God knows how to find you in your hiding place, he knows how to find you in your sin, knows how to find you in your hurt, knows how to find you in your frustration and your confusion when you've made a mess for yourself or a mess out of things, knows exactly how to find you. You're never lost to him. Ooh, he will leave the 99 for the one. Mm. When God comes to him, he names him, not by what he sees, not by his current circumstances, but by the potential that God has already identified and purposed within Gideon. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees where you're going. And so my question for you is, do you know what name God has for you? Is it mighty mom? Is it smart entrepreneur? Is it relationship builder in the Bronx? I don't know. What is his name for you? And if you're thinking to yourself, 
that is so great and so churchy that Gideon was called Mighty Warrior, but I don't have a name. God has never spoken to me, even though I've pursued him. I want to encourage you to walk through the word, which has so many names for you, as you're discovering that very personal name that's going to help you understand where it is God's taking you. There are other names that he's given to us, his children, his heir, his seed. He's given us names like um, a branch. He calls us a branch, which helps us understand where we should be abiding in him, right? Our, our, the bigger vine. He calls us a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He calls you a doer of the work. He calls you and your children green olive shoots in the house of God. He calls you a bride. He has so many names for us. Names that if we would wear them and act accordingly, I think they would um, impact our lives in really tremendous ways. I feel like there are names that no longer belong to us that we are still wearing and we should have shed them a long, long time ago. After uh, the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you to Gideon, Gideon follows up with, sir, which I love. If that is in 2020 right there, sir, sir, ma'am, ma'am, sir, sir, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of the miracles our ancestors told us about? If I didn't need my notes, I would throw my notebook up in the air. Because that, that's some honesty right there, okay? If God is with us, why do I have friends who are losing children? If God is with us, why are people getting sick? If God is with us, why are people dying? If God is with us, why have people had to cancel weddings or take salary cuts just to be able to keep their jobs? If God is with us, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the big one, right? I'm not going to try to answer those questions today. But what I will say is, what's clear is that God can handle Gideon's doubts and fear and anger, his bad attitude, his bad mood, his unwillingness and irritation and the way that it's ruffled his feathers and just let me hide here. God can handle all of that. What he can't handle is being separated from us. What he can't handle is when we refuse to talk to him and we keep going our own way in our own disobedience. He wants to be connected to us, can't stand any other alternative. That's why he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, the thing of most value to him so that there would no longer be a separation between us and him. He doesn't want anything to be veiled. He wants to reveal the mystery of his will to us. He wants us to co-labor and co-partner with him in this great thing he's trying to do on the earth. So talk to him. If that's where it starts for you with a list of questions, not questioning him or questioning his character, but a list of questions about how things are unfolding or why they're happening the way they're happening, God is big enough to handle it. After they continue this conversation 
and this, you know, sort of like gentle, you know, dance, this like Macarena, you know, we're like, you know, one at a time. I don't judge that. Um, God finally tells Gideon, he says, go in the strength that you have. And that's powerful. Couple of points on going in the strength that you have. One, when we're talking about going in the strength that you have, note where Gideon starts. He starts uh, from a very insecure place. He starts being very unsure. He starts being so unsure, he's not even sure that it's really God. And so, you know, he needs God to be patient with him and stay there while he, you know, sort of works it out within himself. And uh, that, 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 that tells us that God can work with a little bit of faith. It's not about how much faith you have. It's not about the quantity. It's about the type of faith that you're coming into it with. Gideon only has a little bit of faith, but that is enough for God to work with. All he needs is a yes from you. All he needs is a yes from me. Point two got to stop focusing on the things that you don't have. When you hear God say, go in the strength that you have, talking to you, you know, to you, Marcy, to you, Meg, to you, Alf, right? Go in the strength that you have. Where does your mind go with that? Because for me, I start going through an inventory of what it is that I have. I go to my resume, I look at my bank account, I look at my refrigerator, you know, like I, I look around and I'm like, okay, this is what I have. These are my resources. This is what I can do. Isn't that how we were trained and raised, right? To be responsible, positive, solutions-oriented people? And that's great. It has a place, but that's not what God is talking about here. He's not talking about you taking stock of what you have and then using that. He wants us to recognize that he is our strength. When he says, go in the strength you have because I am sending you, that is what he's talking about. It's acknowledging that yes, we are weak. Yes, we are flawed, but he can embrace it. He can empower it and he can come in and work with that, being our strength, being all, the, all of the strength that, that we need. Point three about going in the strength that you have. I think far too often, rather than going in the strength that we have, we stay where we are and we fight ourselves. And we do that in a, in a couple of different ways. It's like God comes along, calls us by name, calls you something new. You know you didn't look like that three or four years ago. You know things were a mess. Now he's called you. He's put a new song in your mouth, a song of praise, so other people can see it and will fear the Lord. That's Psalm 40, which saved my life a few times. He's given you a new name, and yet you keep calling yourself something else. I know for me, my, my, my biggest issue with renaming myself is a loser always calling myself a loser. Something doesn't go well at work, I'm such a loser. You know, if I'm awkward in the elevator, oh my gosh, you're such a loser. It, it's amazing how many times that word comes up for me. And yet God has never called me that. He talks about all of the victories I've had and 
all of the victories I will have in him, in Christ, and, you know, talks about all of these gifts that he's willing to give us. And at no point does he say loser. And yet that's that internal monologue that I've got going. What, what is yours? What are you calling yourself that actually doesn't align with who God says you are or what he says about you? Or what name are you returning to that is no longer yours? Okay, yeah, you used to be that. You used to do that. Yeah, okay, you know where you were three or four years ago. You know what a hot mess you were. You know how things looked. You know how rude and mean you used to be to people. You had no patience for them. God had to humble you, a little spank on the butt. But he got you together, renamed you, called you something else, put a new song of praise in your mouth, uh, a song so that others could hear it and see the Lord and revere the Lord and come to him. That's from Psalm 40. And yet you're going back to something that no longer fits you. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. What you used to be, put it down. Let it go. We're over. We're over that. We're done with it. Uh, as it says in Hebrews 12, it says, it's time to lay aside those weights. It's time to lay aside those names. In fact, rolling off of that section about Gideon, right there, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. God is going to make you who he's called you to be. But are you actively fighting him? Are you in sin that is slowing down that transformation process that he wants to complete? Are you engaging in some type of behavior? Are you doing something that is actually um, going against what God has called you and who he has called you to be? And I, again, am talking to myself. I'm going to release an album. It's going to be called Worry About Yourself. But the first track is going to be called I'm Talking to Me. I'm bringing myself to the red table. All right? Got to discover what name God has for us. We got to hear it the way Gideon did. And then we got to accept it. And we got to walk walk into it. So how does it, how does the young boy go from being in a wine press and then being in a book that's going to last for forever and always? It's going to be here even when we're gone. It's going to inspire our kids. How does he go from point A to point B? The Lord. The Lord making him who he called him to be from the very beginning, when no one else could see it. I hope you got something out of today, and I hope that you'll go back and read this story for yourself. Read it all the way through, keeping in mind where Gideon is going to end up. Keeping in mind that God does not expect us to perform these exact 
um, actions or circumstances, but that he wants us to understand more about his character, how he relates to us, how he wants us to come to him, and how he loves us, and he's named us. All right. Thanks. Love you guys. Mean it. For real, for real.